Welcome to the Women in Family Law podcast. I'm Hannah Markham, the chair of the association. Women in Family Law connects, encourages and promotes professional women across the field of family law in England and Wales. We offer advice, support and mentoring. And of course, these podcasts. So good afternoon, everybody, and great to have with me this afternoon, Alexis Campbell, QC, Joint Head of Chambers at 29 Bedford Row, a chambers I know very, very well and use often. Um, fabulous to have you here with us uh, this afternoon and uh, a few questions for you today, Alexis, if that's all right. I'm looking forward to it, Suzanne. It's uh, very rare that we get an opportunity to talk about ourselves and you know how us lawyers love to do that. So uh, you might have to stop me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, here goes. Just starting at the beginning, why did you become a family lawyer? Well, I'm old enough to have started in the very, very early 90s. And at that stage, nobody had a choice about what they wanted to do in most common law sets. And I had a very old fashioned senior clerk who decided that obviously, because I was a woman, there was the only option and that was family law. So I was forced to go and do family law much against my will. Um, and it was was no choice at all, I'm afraid. It was just the direction I was shoved. That's brilliant. And I'm just wondering, actually, as a tangent, you've recently become joint head of chambers. Are you the first woman in that role at 29? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the first woman. Nick, I'm sure you won't mind me saying, is the first gay man. So collectively, we're, um, we're at the front of a, a, new, a new age of different representation in chambers. And both of us are very proud to do so. Brilliant. Big ticks on diversity. Um, any particular mentors that you've had along the way? Yes, I suppose there are a couple. I mean, from the early days, one who stands out is Patricia Scotland. Um, as I said, when I did public law to start with, I remember having a big case and looked for a silk and went for Patricia, partly because somebody who I knew knew her. But she left a very strong impression on me because she was somebody who was, uh, in my very narrow world, um, elegant, uh, sharp and incredibly focused. And it was the first time I'd come across a woman who worked in family law, who took it really seriously. And it changed the way I looked at family law. I realized this was something that had um, kudos, that it, it was stylish, that it was legally interesting, and that there were people who took it much more seriously than I think I ever had. It definitely changed the way I looked at, at family law. And then perhaps more recently, further along the line, I've been lucky enough to be supported by a few very strong female judges for all of those listening who know the Central Family Court will be very familiar with uh, Judith Hughes, who's a circuit judge there, and more recently, Lynn Roberts, who started off as a DJ and is now the designated judge. Very strong women, very different career backgrounds, but very, very supportive of women at the bar. And I, I know in particular, Lynn Roberts has been one at the forefront of pushing not just myself, but my peers and colleagues, female colleagues in particular, to go for it and to actually, you know, put themselves at the front of the queue and not be so bashful as some of us tend to be. Um, we tend to sort of not do a lot of shouting about our abilities and, and let some of the noisier people go for it. And both Judith and Lynn were very clear to say, you know, put yourself in the in the forefront. And um, it, it was good to have women that I respected giving that sort of encouragement. Really important. Thanks for that. And your career highlights. Can you name a few? Well, um, 
for me, I'm afraid every time I win is a career highlight. It's not that they're so infrequent. It's just, I think, like most of the people that will be listening in, I love winning. We love going to court, don't we, and having a victory. And so generally, whether it's a small hearing or more usually a proper trial, um, when you win, each one feels like a whole new experience. I mean, there have been some obviously some big cases. I was in Villiers the, in the Supreme Court, and that was a, a great moment. And nearly everybody in my family, I think, tried to tune in to see if they could see the back of my head. But luckily, that was um, a case where Tim Scott was still leading me and he did a brilliant job. So it wasn't really a career highlight, but lovely to be in the room um, with some of those greats. Uh, but generally, like, like nearly everybody who'll be listening, just going to court and getting a victory is a career highlight. Yeah, and we're going to come and perhaps talk about that a bit later on, about the difference between going to court and the virtual courtroom. I mean, it's, mm. it's so different. Oh, in fact, we could just mention that now. I mean, what do you feel about working virtually and what do you think the future holds? Is it hybrid? Are we going back to court? What do you think is going to happen? I mean, I think we're going to have a bit of both, aren't we? I think for many of us, apart from the sort of personal aspect of feeling a bit isolated or lonely, we've all seen great benefits from remote working. You know, it's physically, it's much more comfortable. We're not in heels, we can relax and your time is easier to manage. So all of those bonuses. But I think from a legal perspective, often I know, I'm sure you will have had the same, our clients miss us being there. Mm. Um, and we've sort of found a way around that. I know I've, I've met with clients with you, we've met in offices, they've come to chambers, and so there are ways around that. Um, and I think the only thing that I would really try and um, ensure wasn't um, eaten away, and that's the ability to have final hearings in person. I think that is the time when you need to see the judge. The judge needs to see you, see your clients, and as I sit as a judge, as a recorder, certainly I found it very difficult, particularly doing some um, public law cases where you can't see the witnesses give evidence. And when you're making big decisions, I think as a judge or as an advocate or as a client, you need to be there. Um, yeah. I think you feel as if you're not putting your best or getting your case across. And, and sometimes for judges, I think it's a bit easy for them to switch off if you're not physically in the room. <laughs> you know, you can make a decision and sometimes you can make a really hard decision turn the screen off and, and you're away and when you're physically in the same room as somebody it makes it much harder to make life-changing decisions lightly not that most of us do but it can happen and what about the biggest challenge you've ever encountered I think probably looking back the hardest thing is perhaps not having enough confidence family law can sometimes be a bit like a club and it's okay if you're on the inside but if you're not on the inside, it's quite difficult and it can be quite alienating. And obviously, the more senior I've become, the more involved I am. And I know, you know, most of the people involved. And so, in a sense, I'm in the club now. But for many years, I wasn't in uh, at 29 Bedford Row. For, for 10 years, I was elsewhere in Hardwick Building. And not being in the club can be a bit undermining. And I think you are sometimes doubtful of yourself and not confident enough. And I think there are people in family law even now who encourage the idea of the club, if only to sort of make ourselves feel better and, and to make sure people do feel on the outside. Uh, and I think that's a bit of a shame. And, you know, I think if, if I could sort of readdress things, I would say to myself, just get on with it. Don't be so, don't be so nervous or worried about not fitting in, just get on with it. 
Um, it's so interesting that you say that because nearly everyone I've interviewed, however senior, whatever their role, has said exactly the same thing. And I really hope that younger people listening will take this on board and acknowledge that everybody has that sort of crisis of confidence almost, and that you have to push them through. And our sort of word to them probably would be just believe in yourself. Yeah, and as practitioners, when we're more experienced, I think it's our job to make sure we're not excluding people. And we do encourage, and just the way I was talking about Lynn and, and Judith Hughes, you know, those were women who stepped out of their comfortable, successful careers to make other women do well. And I think we have an obligation to do that too. And I try, I'm sure I, I don't always do it, but I really do try when I get to court, to, particularly when I'm against younger women to encourage them to feel you know, positive about their case and act well. And we can all do more to include each other and focus on the issues rather than sort of uh, our opinions of one another. And as you probably know, that's what we're really focusing on in women in family law. And there's a really big mentoring component, which many of us are involved in. So, so yeah, I think that's something that many of our listeners today will know about. And what about your proudest moment? I think that's pretty easy. I, I've spent nearly all my life at the bar wanting to take silk. So being in that on that uh, day when I had my parents with me and my family in the, you know, in the House of Lords was, was a wonderful feeling. And I think most of us, if we're honest about it, you want to get to the top, don't you? And if you get admitted into that very niche club, as dreadful as it might sound, it's probably the most proud moment for me, but from, certainly from a work point of view, definitely. And do you have a motto that you live by? Oh, yes, I've got a very, oh, my children will laugh when they hear this, but my sort of lifetime motto is head down, arse up, uh, which is <laughs> a motto that comes from my family. My father's actually a bricklayer, and uh, he tells me that when they're working in the winter and you're laying the first course of bricks, it's the hardest part of the job. You're bent over, you're building bricks from the bottom up, and if it's cold, there's nothing worse than that back-breaking work. And the, the phrase they use is, come on, lads, head down, arse up as you lay down to build that first course. And I find it's the same in any case I do. You know, when you get a pile of papers or these days, an electronic bundle with thousands of pages, I have that moment where I say to myself, come on, head down, arse up, get on with it. Um, yeah. And it's a good feeling, actually, you know, it, when you get through to that, to, to understand the papers and understand what's going on. It's a great feeling. Then there's no phrase sort of thinking in pictures. I love it. Great <laughs> I'll, I'll, if I can, I'll uh, use it if that's OK. Yeah. Um, and how do you achieve a work life balance? Something that I think all of us are striving to do and perhaps have found even more difficult in these times of COVID. Yes, I mean, it's been particularly hard this last year or so. Generally, how I've done it is good holidays. I have a family now who, who have grown up, but whilst they were young, to try and make sure I had some time with them, as well as obviously putting the work in that you need to. Um, I couldn't be there every night, I couldn't be there every weekend, but certainly taking good holidays with them was really important. But this year we've not been able to do that, and, and it can be all-consuming, all we do is work. And uh, I find that the, the easiest thing I can do, and lots of people will complain about this, but I just leave my phone in my handbag. <laughs> I come in from work and hang my bag up and my phone stays in it and until I need to call someone. That's the way you can physically switch off because once you've got your phone on the side, 
it pings or lights up and inevitably we all look and no matter how strong-willed we think we are we can't help it just keep your your handbag shut with the phone inside and I think that works better and keeps me sane yeah good top tip and what would you have told your younger self looking back now what would you have said I think probably enjoy it you know the, the work we do is quite pressured and we have difficult clients and we have high expectations and a lot's at stake and you can spend your days absorbed in the worry you know what if you don't get the right result what will happen if you don't and sometimes I, certainly I find this I, I forget to enjoy what I'm doing I mean standing coldly and looking back would I do anything differently no I would do it all the same but I don't think I've enjoyed it as much as I could have because I've been panicking about what comes next and how to achieve the next thing and you know there's always a horrendous case on the on the horizon somewhere that you're worried about instead of actually enjoying the moments the fights the battles the opponents you know the, the victories and also the losses but enjoying what you're doing because we spend so much of our time looking for the next week or the next holiday or the next weekend forget to enjoy what you're actually doing apparently that's the key to happiness isn't it very much living in the moment nearly all the research shows that and as a total tangent I'm quite taken at the moment that at the University of Bristol you can do a degree in happiness which sounds <laughs> fabulous and something that I think we should all aspire to is a absolutely degree in happiness. a postgrad at the very least we should all do it for at least a year after we've had our, our first undergraduate degrees definitely absolutely. or maybe a sabbatical now we're all due one don't you think <laughs> yeah I would have thought so it's what we need to achieve is there anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners whilst we've got you I think we really have to take as many opportunities as we can to be kind to each other. I mean, women work differently from men. And sometimes, you know, we're encouraged to compete and, and do one another down. But actually, I've had much more success working with women, working as women do, cooperatively, getting on with things, not always fighting about every single issue. And I think it's good that we're looking out for each other from a professional perspective, trying to encourage each other. And the point about that is not only is it better for each of us individually but working at the bar and certainly working in law becomes better if we recognize these strengths and rather than trying to emulate you know the successful men at the bar recognize the, the gifts that women bring to the bar and to, and to law generally and and um, encourage it you know I think it's easy to, to to all try and be in the same mold instead of recognizing our strengths and, and you know there's we need to encourage each other because what we see are so many women who start in the profession who don't don't stay the course because there are so many complications and it's not just about children it's particularly about looking after older family members and being able to persevere it's difficult for women as it is for men but I think we are we're not as good at supporting one another and it's back to the conversation I had with you earlier about the club you know make our own club <laughs> be, be supportive one is another yeah, uh, women in family law is a sort of club. And um, yeah, yeah, so I'm glad you said that because I think it does highlight how much we need each other and how much we can do for each other, helping each other along the way. So thanks so much, Alexis, for being a guest today. You've been very spirited, which I love, and also <laughs> concise, which I knew you would be. There's no waffle with you. You get to the point and it's brilliant. So thanks very much for being my guest today. Really enjoyed speaking to you. It's a pleasure, Suzanne. Lovely to talk to you.
Thank you for listening to the Women in Family Law podcast. Our theme music is Low Tide by Sam Hare, found on Spotify. Please visit our website, womeninfamilylaw.net, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WIFLaw, and follow, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts.